Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. This is Julie and welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Today is episode 11 for my podcast and it is the first of uh, a new series with Rick Kelly. Uh, This will be episode one of probably four podcasts that I'm going to do with Rick and we're calling the series Parenting the Restorative Way. And so there's two things that I want to get to. One, I want to give you a full background on Rick and the knowledge and experience and education that he brings to this topic. And two, just give you all a heads up that I'm asking for a little patience with uh, listening to this episode. I will warn you that there is static and there is at times cutouts. Unfortunately, we're at the mercy of internet connections when we're doing podcasts at a distance, uh, the way that Rick and I were, he wasn't in the same space as me. And in using the app that I use to record these podcasts, it's really Anchor, Anchor app is what it's called, or Anchor FM. Uh, It's really wonderful because it allows me to connect with people all over the place. And we do that basically just through our phones. But as mentioned, uh, it's at the mercy of uh, our internet connections. So uh, you'll notice that this one is less than perfect, but I hope that it's enough that I do believe it's enough that you'll be able to grasp the context of Rick's message and the information that he's sharing and uh, hear our discussion and our conversation. But um, yeah, if you need to shut it off and turn it back on another time because you're growing intolerant or frustrated with the cutouts, I hope that it's not that bad for you. But um, my tech guy, Patty, did a really great job in trying to clean it up, but it's still... Uh, You can hear at times Rick will maybe say something and it cuts out and I've tried my best to sort of fill in the gaps. And so you'll notice at the end that it's, you may not notice that it ends abruptly, but you don't hear me at the end. uh, And that's us piecing some information together uh, after we got cut off. So I will, or I may add more information at the end just to sort of wrap things up a little nicer than it uh, happened on the, on the, the day of the uh, taping. So I want to get started and give you, like I said, an uh, introduction um, to Rick. He's. I'm just going to read a bio that I have here for him. Rick has dedicated 40 plus years as a child and youth worker to themes that include thinking outside of the box, innovation, creativity, prevention, health promotion, advocacy, and systems change. As a child and youth worker, which we're now called child and youth care practitioners, of which I am as well, Rick is a colleague of mine, 
Rick has a variety of roles which run the gamut from street worker, psychiatric crisis worker, residential worker, play therapist, parent family coach, counselor at stepinstitute.ca, mental health consultant and program supervisor and manager. For 17 years, Rick taught full-time at George Brown College. It was there that he caught the restorative bug, and he'll talk a little bit about that in the podcast. After being introduced to the model through Indigenous lens, through an Indigenous lens, he readily took hold of the relevance and opportunities for the program, students, and college and field partners. He continues to honor and respect the gift of this knowledge from our First Nations brothers and sisters. And I just love, love, love that. And I really hope to embrace and provide you all with, if you have information about First Nations cultures, or if you don't, really embrace the teachings and the learnings of that uh, that restorative nature and how Rick has been able to add to that the lens of parenting. Rick conducted research, provided a separate advanced skills training program, supported a host of student-led projects and conference presentations, partnered with sister programs to set up the Social Innovation Hub as an alternative field placement and developed an international placement in Jamaica. All of these were founded on restorative and peacemaking principles and practices. During this time, he was certified as a restorative conferences facilitator in 2003 for youth justice through the International Institute for Restorative Practices. In this capacity, he volunteered with PACT, an urban peace project, as a co-facilitator for three years, offering youth conferences through the courts in Toronto and York Region here in Ontario, Canada. He became certified as a trainer in 2004 with the IIRP, and that stands for something like an International Institute for Restorative Practices. I'm just saying that off the top of my head. Uh, their website is iirp.edu forward slash to offer their three modules in restorative practices, circles, and conferencing. He has adapted these models for the youth serving sector and provided over 40 plus workshops for his certificate training. He has worked with many of the school boards in Ontario who were early adopters of the model and were engaged in system-wide implementation. And there's a number of different school boards that he's listed here, including Aboriginal Education Centre. He deepened his understanding of restorative practices by completing his master's in restorative practices at IIRP, the only graduate school dedicated to restorative practices, and through studies at the Canadian School of Peacebuilding, CMU and Peacemaking Circles, and that's csop.cmu.ca, and I'll put these links in the show note for you. He set up his own training organization in 2012, Just Us, a Centre for Restorative Practices. Throughout, he has adopted the the model to address the realities of work, youth work, while challenging conventional thinking in the model. He incorporates our growing understanding and need to utilize a neurodevelopmental perspective as well as trauma-informed. His work as a psychiatric adolescent worker at Whitby Psych and as a mental health consultant in the critical care, surgical and transplant units have given him the skills and abilities to assist first responders dealing with trauma, vicarious trauma and PTSD. In addition, his work 
in the high priority neighborhoods of Toronto, including Rexdale, Jane Finch, and Regent Park, has seen him provide community-based restorative and peacemaking solutions to violence-prone neighborhoods. He encourages creative practices such as art, spoken word, and music to facilitate the development of youth voice. He uses restorative practices as a foundation for knowledge, mobilization, program transformation, and systems change. He is currently working with York University's Department of Social Work, Youth Rex, at youthrex.com, Knowledge Mobilization Initiative as a lecturer and workshop presenter. And I, well, there's the introduction to Rick. And so we'll just, uh, that was a bit long, but I wanted to give you all a really great background on Rick because uh, we're doing this series of four and help you all to really understand his expertise in this topic. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. So let's just get to it. Hi, Rick. It's uh, nice of you to join me on my podcast series, Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. And uh, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm quite pleased to do this. Yeah. So you and I have spoken and agreed to meet and create a little mini series on parenting the restorative way. And I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited to do this with you. So you and I met... Many years ago, I think we were talking about it, and it was maybe around 2011 at the, uh, the I think it was the, was it the first World Child and Youth Conference in Newfoundland? Is that what it was called? First World Conference? Uh, yeah, that was the one that we met at. Yeah, you were doing a presentation on restorative circles, and I, in my practice work and in my own personal interest, always gravitated towards that sort of modality, restore, restoration, and I moved on then after that conference and became a facilitator for a local community justice program Mm -hmm. that is a court diversion program that I was involved with for many years. And I can link in the show notes uh, information about that. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very, very powerful work. Uh, Without a doubt. I think there's a real opportunity um, not only to repair harms that have happened, to restore individuals and their relationships and and, and in a number of cases actually transform uh, individuals and create different pathways. Yeah, and the restorative program that I was involved in, uh, it was youth and adults Mm -hmm. who were charged with Mm -hmm. crime. And so we would have our experience and if all went well, which most times it did, um, and I say that mm-hmm. loosely because it was a very intense and emotional mm-hmm. process that sometimes took many, many hours. Uh, the charges could ultimately be dropped. And so uh, I liked that the courts were interested in doing their piece as well as in trying to restore, uh, like you said, repair harm and restore individuals and relationships. Because I think that's important at the court level too. Oh, without it? a doubt. I mean, they're basically they're the sort of the door opener to um, different alternatives if they embrace them. Uh, if not, then mm-hmm. we continue to do what we've always done. Yeah, which we're definitely going to get mm-hmm. into. But I wanted to back up just a little bit. And you were sharing with me that you sort of fell into restorative practices about 20 years ago by accident. Tell me about right. that. Right. Um, I was uh, teaching uh, a course 
um, at George Brown College and it was uh, legislation and social policy. And at that time, the um, Young Offenders Act was being uh, reviewed to become the Youth Criminal Justice Act. When I did some background reading, um, there was a small piece around restorative justice. Uh, I found this author, Rupert Ross, uh, who was a Crown Attorney uh, up north who was seconded to go across Canada to look at it, um, Aboriginal and Indigenous practices and how they related and could infuse the traditional conventional justice system. When I started reading into it, um, I was absolutely um, astounded by uh, the worldview that was there in terms of First Nation practices around healing and building community. Um, and from there, it simply just opened up a universe uh, of different possibilities, which I'm always interested in. Um, and then from there, one thing led to another. Yeah, and as you're saying that, um, there recently was in the news an unfortunate situation where uh, three, I think it was three young boys, maybe 10 to 12 mm -hmm. years old, were on a First Nations reserve and they were hit and mm -hmm. killed yeah. by someone else from the yeah. same reserve. And the media was sharing aspects of that story around the forgiveness that the families of the boys yeah had towards the family and the individual who yeah. hit them. And it's so profound, you know, it just, it makes me emotional because it's just so rich and so raw and so connecting in a way that in our disconnected mm -hmm. world, it, it's just a complete dichotomy, isn't it? It's a complete, complete opposite. Right. And I think if we get, a, get away from Typically, how events like that are portrayed in the paper, which are, you know, sort of mm -hmm. splashy headlines and look at mm -hmm. what, you know, different individuals and groups um, are capable of doing, which gets, you know, much less attention. Uh, I think we'll find that there's more forgiveness and understanding um, amongst mm. people um, than they're given credit for. So that's where that story, yeah. um, I think, presented once again, uh, a different paradigm, a different way of being um, that a lot of times we don't have access through. the. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because that's where we get a lot of our information. Yeah. And so for me, with my trained eye and my interests, this really... I gravitated towards that 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 writing piece because I was like, I love that this is being shared. Now it's not massively being shared, but I, you know, again with my trained eye and for years as well, I'm sure. I don't know if you're familiar with that oh, story I that I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I okay. follow these things very closely uh, on a daily okay. basis because what I'm um, interested in and want to promote um, is actually this um, approach to harm that has to do with restorative and peacemaking approach. So I look yeah. for any opportunity to see it profiled in the press um, because that's mm -hmm. a counter narrative to typically what is mm. profiled in the press, which is typically, you know, mm -hmm. some form of retribution, punishment, get tough on um, crime, et cetera. Um, and it doesn't allow mm -hmm. really our natural um, selves and our natural inclinations to come to the surface. And it takes away what you were saying earlier, how the people credit for what they're capable of when it's all that counter narrative stuff um, or not counter narrative because we're saying the restorative piece is counter narrative to what's actually being portrayed in the media 
is the retribution, the punishment, the crime, all of those things. Right. So they're not getting credit for, yeah. How can we grow something if it's not, you know, readily available in our, in our day-to-day consumption of learning about what's going on in the world? Well, there's an interesting paper that was written back in the late seventies by criminologist Neil. um, And he talks about conflict as property. um, And that when a conflict really you should own it. But what happens around conflict and harm-related issues, but also it gets taken mm-hmm. away from people by the systems around us. And that would court justice system or school discipline systems, because we don't oftentimes allow people to give voice to what they've experienced, to sit down with the people that either have caused the harm or that have been mm-hmm. the recipient of um, harmful actions by others. And as a result, natural inclinations don't get a chance to come into play because other players define what should happen. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that, you know, it's all, you know, as he says, it's kind of like a form of robbery. I like what you said there that other players define what should happen. And yeah, it, it, and I don't want to get too off track, but I knew, <laughs> I knew our conversation was going to be a rich one, but um, there was recently Bruce Perry, yep. Dr. Bruce Perry, he does, yeah, um, he did an episode with 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey yeah. interviewed him, and it was about a trauma-informed lens, and Oprah saying, you know, it's about asking what happened to you, to the individual, and understanding, you know, why they're the way that yeah. they are. And it's it's a shift. It was very exciting for me to hear that be spoken about yep. in the media for the same reasons we're talking about, because it's a shift in stopping, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not allowing others to define what is actually happening, but teaching people to stop within themselves mm-hmm. and ask that question, what happened to you, and try and understand the human behind the behavior, I guess is a good way of putting right. it. Right, and I think in what he talked about, um, his framework and what Oprah was saying and the sort of approach, and, this, and where it converges is around voice. Um, and the way we talk about it, um, the voice of uh, one needs to be heard, and it needs to shape the responses. And as we know, um, that isn't how things happen in courts um, or in school discipline um, settings. Typically, mm-hmm. what happens is we look at the person who caused the harm. Um, we try to figure out what rule they broke, and then what's the consequence mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. punishment. The restorative approach is different. It says, and where it starts from is the person who was harmed. And then we ask them, what is it they need? What it is that they want? Um, and let those um, questions and needs shape then the responses from there. So it's very um, mm-hmm. organic. Um, it's very mm-hmm. uh, respectful. It's rights-based. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it allows them to create responses rather than to simply apply um, a set of rules um, that may not fit at all for particular situations. And they certainly do um, changes in behavior, people stopping doing mm-hmm. what they're doing, to awareness. So that's where the restorative mm-hmm. approach actually, as I said at the beginning, so many different doors, things that are problematic for us. But what it does is it creates some real pathways how to understand, but also how to act, we all encounter. Yeah, and there's so many things going through my mind as you're talking, and you and I have in common that we are trained in child and youth care, is that exactly, correct? Exactly, yeah. You yeah. have a... 
Um, I'm sure what your actual, uh, what's your actual, it's child and youth worker or child and youth care uh, designation? Because of, because of um, my elder status, I would, I was trained oh, okay. as a child, a child worker. Um, the name has uh-huh. changed uh, many times. Uh, I can throw in that I have yeah. a BA in philosophy. I don't know if that's relevant. Uh, and then I have yeah. a master's in restorative practices. Awesome. So the, and the reason I brought up the child care worker, child and youth care practitioner, whatever, <laughs> that's what it's being called now, child and youth care practitioner. Uh, we have that training in common. So we also have that frontline experience working with children and youth. And um, there's just a commonality I think we have as professionals in the child and youth care field that we see, we see what, what children and youth are capable of and families as a direct result of that as well when they're being offered that respectful asking those needs and wants and that rights base and helping them experience that is something very very different than a systemic uh institutional uh you know a dysfunctional sort of punishment-based system uh even in relationships uh and it it really just there's so much power that comes from it and i just can't i can't say that enough that goes along with that, which is both uh, a principle of child and youth work, but also on a restorative approach, is that everything is is grounded on a foundation of relationships. Um, so that becomes right. the the sort of the um, the ongoing thread through um, all of the the work um, that 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 you do either as a youth worker or as a restorative practitioner. Um, and so mm-hmm. um, relationships are um, both the strength of the work that we do as as youth workers and restorative practitioners, but also it can also be the source of problems that relate to harm doing. When relationships are, um, then that's oftentimes why young people um, harm others, Um, but also in their harming, they also break relationships along the way. That's where a restorative Mm -hmm. approach aims to mend those relationships, both, you know, from the past, but also um, in in the sort of the present time. Yeah, that's a good point. That it's a it's a source of strength, but also it can be a source of problems. Relation relationships, right? Because yeah. I think, as good we point. know, I mean, many of the um, kids and youth that we work with, um, they have distance attachment, um, and that can go, mm-hmm. um, you know, right down to their early years even prenatals. Um, so with mm-hmm. that, I mean, part of, you know, working from a relational framework oftentimes means we need to talk to kids and youth about what relationships because they may not have experienced mm-hmm. what that's all about. And the same thing relates mm-hmm. to parents as well. I mean, we all have our own experiences that are our scripts and templates around um, you know, cause us to have blinders on uh, when we can't see mm-hmm. beyond, you know, lived experience. Mm-hmm. And and see it in, I always say in people who work with me, see it in a non-judgmental way, but more of a curious, a curiosity, because we don't, we're not, we're not, we don't do this work to shame parents or adults or anyone working with kids. I'm, I'm doing it mm-hmm. to create a conversation, have a discussion and help to soften the internal messages that maybe we translate what we hear out in the external world as finger pointing or parents are always at fault 
that's an old way of thinking. That's the way that it used to be. And it's not that way at all. And through new science and research, it's, I think, do you agree there was a time where parents got blamed for pretty much everything? Yeah, I think one, they get blamed. Um, Mm -hmm. It is really important, but many systems don't know how to really engage with parents and families. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're constantly putting them in a box that doesn't allow them to step out of it. And that's where um, I turn my focus to see how um, if we utilize the principles and practices of a restorative approach, how that could actually um, enhance what parents do. Um, that do um, mm-hmm. their ability to um, across that kind of developmental journey um, that any parent has with their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's enhancing, it's giving them tools to enhance their parenting and add to their ability because we acknowledge that they have the ability and that, yes, through maybe ways of generations past, there were certain ways of discipline, for example, certain ways of parenting that by nature of not knowing, not questioning, not being curious, you may be repeating those things, but they're not necessarily productive and they're not going to build that relationship or connection with your child. And so by saying something like adding to their ability, we acknowledge that there is ability there. Oh, without a doubt. I think anybody that's parenting, um, just by virtue of the fact that they're still hanging in with their kids, that's a strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, Itself um, is a challenge. In terms of parents, we simply need to acknowledge um, their resilience in terms of simply hanging in and being a parent uh, on a day-to-day basis and across um, the challenges that come from raising kids through all the different developmental challenges. Um, So I think starting from a strength-based approach um, acknowledges Um, what parents are doing. And that's not to uh, even take into account um, other forms of adverse challenges that come parents' way when, you know, they're dealing with kids that are, you know, sick or they may have some mental health challenges. So, yeah, strengths-based is a huge aspect of the work and the training that we have, that overcoming adversity challenges you, were, challenges you were saying, you know, acknowledging that some parents are also dealing with sick mm-hmm. children through medical illness, mental illness, uh, different relational issues within their own sort of family dynamic. Yeah, parenting's right. hard. Parenting's hard. Yeah, and, and I think- yeah you brought up you know which is you know the tendency to blame parents is not helpful um so Mm -hmm. that you work with with parents to help them um get out from under the yoke of being blamed um and also support them in parenting um without blaming others as well because typically what happens is you know um we give as 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 good as we get so if you're blamed um that's going to put them on the defense but if we can, you know, um, help them with um, different tools and ways of talking that aren't filled with blame towards their kids, then that opens up mm-hmm. the nation um, that, that, you know, parents need to have with their children. Yeah. And so if we could swing a little bit more, we're moving into that topic about parenting with your children, tools and ways of talking. And I wondered if you would share a little bit about that in terms of the restorative, mm-hmm. the restorative parenting piece. 
Sure. Um, and let me just talk a little bit about how I, you know, sort of move my focus towards parenting. One of the things we've mm -hmm. already talked about, which is, you know, um, parents um, a lot of times have been blamed for what their kids are doing. Um, different systems, um, you know, hospitals or schools, uh, justice system. Um, a lot of times parents aren't really included in any sort of meeting. But I think everybody would acknowledge that parents and families and, you know, and I mean extended families are essential to kids' development. So what was, you know, kind of a, a problem was we're spending a lot of time or trying to be in the system and in school but we haven't sort of imparted that sort of uh, kind of wisdom. Um, so that's when I decided, you know, that I uh, kind of undertake um, ways of translating a restorative approach for parents. Um, terms, and there's lots that we can talk about around, you know, a restorative approach. But, you know, as we kind of touched on, um, one, it's, it's a relational piece. It's, you know, what anchors work that happens. It's a truism that when you work with others or you engage with others, you'll get more cooperation than if you do to them. Um, it will be better in the long run than doing for them. Um, certainly much better if you simply ignore them. So if you think about the power in uh, any relationship, there's kind of like four places you um, so we think of it as a window. Um, so one of the windows is doing two others. One of the windows is when we do four. Um, one window mm -hmm. is when we ignore and neglect. Uh, and the other window, though, is when we work with others. And that with is a relationship. So applying that to parenting, um, then, you know, what that you know you need to engage um, with your child for me it means through development um, because that will change you know um, you know when you think of an infant um, your um, is different than when they're two and when they're preschooler and then when they're school age and when they're an adolescent so those different times that kind of mark develop development um, there still needs to be a relationship there um, and it needs mm -hmm. to be a shared um, type of experience, but, you know, um, geared towards where the child is. And then establish, you know, expectations that allow kids to live up to their potential. So that's where mm -hmm. these things um, actually go together. So um, using the relationship and using expectations that are high um, help kids meet those different developmental milestones because we're with them throughout. Um, for many of us, we were parented where we were told what to do um, and it was about rule and we had no voice in that. So, you know, that's mm -hmm. a very stark contrast. Um, this is more about expectations, what we want kids mm -hmm. to do, how we're going to work with them around achieving that and they have and a role in um, understanding the expectations and meeting them. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I want to come back. You said truism work around with engaging mm -hmm. more, 
and getting more cooperation than I think you were talking about it more in the workplace and you were talking about how you sort of transitioned the whole concept of restorative practice into parenting. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about that, that concept of working with engaging with Mm -hmm. that more so than the doing to doing for ignoring or neglect. So the working with is the relationship and how then you were talking about how that has to be throughout the child's development from infant, toddler, preschool, or adolescent, mm-hmm. and then establishing expectations to allow kids to live to their full potential and helping them to meet developmental milestones and helping them to work towards achieving those expectations or those goals or whatever comes from yeah. that. Versus what you were acknowledging is that for a lot of us, uh, parents were told what to do. They were, there was rules that they had to follow. And I, I kind of envision like robotic, like, mm-hmm. you know, ways of being, and that's simply not the case in the restorative piece and, and what we know today in terms of what works better, right. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, being told to, I mean, I think many people experience that as being quite authoritarian and very controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. really what, you know, I'm talking about is how you can be authoritative as a parent, um, but not authoritarian. Um, so Mm -hmm. all parents have power. The question is how you use that power, um, Mm -hmm. and do Mm -hmm. it in a way that respects the other person, meaning kids, um, within their own Mm -hmm. rights and that, um, the other way Mm -hmm. to contrast it is the other side of it is. I think also many of us had experience of a uh, parent where the parent did everything for you um, and um, and good heart. But when I think of the long term mental um, pathway for your <clears throat> child and experience failure, adversity, of risk, then how will they? when they go out into that world on their own, uh, mm-hmm. be able to then respond to the various challenges that come come their way. So part of how I look at it is, you know, for me, parenting is a long-term venture. Um, and having mm-hmm. five kids of my own, um, I can look across um, spectrum and, you know, when they're really young to becoming adults. And that's, you know, in my um, kind of benchmark, which is how do I get them to be um, at a point in life where they can manage their own affairs? And that can start even at a, a younger age. I mean, you know, when um, preschoolers, early school age, and then moving into um, the teen year, you want your kid to be able to handle the things that come their way. So what style of parenting them to do that. So if you tell kids what mm-hmm. to do, then they rely in order to figure out what to do. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, but I hadn't ever seen it in the context of that sort of more authoritarian piece, which was you. Well, no, that's not really authoritarian, is it? Yeah. Is it? Do you consider? Uh, do you think? Okay, parents doing everything for their child is that? No, no, it's it's more. It's, no. it's in that other window of simply doing for. So it's not authoritarian. Oh, right. What it does do though, robs kids of skills they could develop. Yeah. For them, you know, if their shoes, then you'll always tie up their shoes. It's like a parable. Yeah. Um, give fish every day 
give a man a fish every day for the rest of his life. Teach him how yeah. to fish, and yeah. he'll be able to do that on his own. And that's where looking mm-hmm. um, at parenting in terms of um, outcomes that relate to different styles. Um, for me, when I've done parenting workshops, it's been an interesting eye. What do you want for your child? Um, and, it, you know, I do an exercise around hopes um, and also fears and concern. Stand back and look down the road. Everybody wants their kids to be happy, sort of mentally healthy, uh, and being able yeah. to follow their own passion, um, being individual. So when you look at those, you know, desires on the part of parents, then the question is, so what parenting style allow you, your child, um, achieving those end goals? So it's kind of getting people to kind of line up, you know, their hopes and desires with what they actually do. Mm. And that's, from my point of view, restorative parenting really is about principles and values, but also what you actually do. There's a, a match between um, what we think we're able to. Yeah, what you actually do. And so I guess from what you were saying earlier and from my experience, is it fair to say that parents often get, parents or caregivers, I, we keep saying parents, but we mean caregivers as well. Um, where they get tripped up is that that inability to acknowledge, to reflect internally to understand how it is that they're responding, reacting, engaging, connecting or not connecting with their child that has, they get tripped up there. Don't yeah. They? And that's where um, kind of the framework I was talking about in terms of, you know, are you using two, four, with or not? What I often get parents mm-hmm. to do is talking about what they do is get them to reflect on how they were parented. And then when they, mm-hmm. you know, do that, um, it starts to open up a window around their own experiences um, and what was, you know, good in it and what was not so good in it and intentional around what they want to do. And it's not aimed for protect, mm-hmm. uh, for perfection. It's aimed for mm-hmm. just being more thoughtful because I know that, you know, um, it's pretty hard to be perfect when you're parenting, um, as, especially if you're all and working and dealing yeah. with all sorts of other things. Yeah, we have to give space for that. I mean, that's a, a lot of yeah. the reality and even just in doing psychotherapy with with clients is you have a real life that's going on in amongst you trying to work through your stuff. Yeah. And so I really like that, uh, you know, we're, we're not aiming for perfection um, it's about bringing around that awareness and understanding, you know, intention that you can pull away from that yeah. and then continuing to move forward towards what you were saying, which is that um, helping parents to kind of work. I don't know if backwards is mm-hmm. the right way, but when you ask them, you know, that question about hopes and dreams and then what they want for their child and seeing how and what they can do in terms of the parenting style that's going to allow them to achieve happiness, mental health, success, following their passion, being an individual. Yeah. And once again, it's also, you know, talked about, you know, the different parenting styles. Sometimes you actually do have to um, be irritative. I think of, you know, situation with my um, when he was five, um, he almost ran out in front of Car's fault, mm-hmm. but there was no time for me to have a discussion with him. 
choice. Yeah. I had mm-hmm. him um, so that he wouldn't be hurt. Um, and sometimes you do for your kids um, happen if they happen to be sort of hurt, hurting or vulnerable. So to summarize what we've been talking about, first portion around using a restorative approach and applying it to parenting, um, it has to do with three things. It has to do with the relationships. Um, it has to do with um, a style of parenting um, that acknowledges that there's power in parenting, but it's how you use the parenting. Um, and it has to do with how we set expectations. Um, and what we really want to do is have expectations that kids can grow into um, rather than rules that they have to follow. Um, and as an overriding concept, I think parenting, what it's all about really is looking down the road. Um, there's probably a great uh, quote by Cahill Gibran, um, paraphrasing it, but it kind of says, you know, uh, your children are not your children. They're something that are like a gift that, you know, move on through our hands. Um, so I think that's really what we want to do is to see how we can actually um, give gifts to our kids. And those gifts are, I think, the ability to um, cope with whatever life throws their way. Um, but most importantly, uh, their potential um, to become the person that they want to be, to not fit into a box, um, to follow their passions, um, to be mentally healthy um, and feel good about themselves and have the capacity to um, give to others and to give back. Um, And I think we do that by being with our kids throughout uh, their lives and throughout the changes they go through um, using the relationship as a foundation uh, so that we kind of partner with them sort of on a journey. So I think that would probably be how I would summarize um, what we've been talking about this morning. provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.